John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22. A little while, and you will see me no more. Again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will see me again. A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he means. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, You will weep and lament but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is in travail, she has sorrow, because her hour has come. But when she is delivered because of the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a child is born into the world. So you have sorrow now, But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. I have the great privilege of sitting through this service three times this morning. And if you felt inside, I wish I could sing. Didn't you just want to sing along with that last number? Well, you can if you come back tonight. They're going to do that again. So I just thought I'd tell you. In case you want to come back and maybe even it's just going to be mm. I said Yo, I wonder how many people get upset if I dance like David to that thing oh that is a good number so let's get back together tonight and really join with the choir what a history we have to celebrate in those 30 years that precious great unparalleled life Big amen. Our life ought to be just a big amen to the life of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we lay claim to the promise that where two or three are gathered, in your name a special presence draws in. We need it. I can't change anybody. I'm nothing. The work that has to be done in the hearts of people to forgive sin and to sanctify and to give hope where there's discouragement and healing where there's hurt and reconciliation where there's division is a divine work. If you don't come, all's in vain. And so we together unite our hearts right now through my voice and say, come. Lord Jesus, fill this place. And in the name of Jesus, we would just rebuke and resist Satan and any of his emissaries. And we pray that the angel of the Lord would encamp around us and that there would be a glow of divine power in this congregation right now as the Word of God is sounded. In the name of Jesus, the risen one, we pray. Amen. 
I want to leave a word ringing in your ears this morning. It's a real simple word. I'll say it again and again. It comes from verse 22. It goes like this. No one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. I didn't make it up. If it makes you feel good by the end of this service, that's God's idea, not my idea. I want you to see it right here in the verse. Do you see it there in verse 22? Keep your Bible open. We're going to look at this text right on through the message. At the end of verse 22, I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. I call it irrevocable joy. Abraham said last night, What's irrevocable mean? And I said, it means no one will take your joy from you. So that's the definition. You can all add the word to your spiritual vocabulary. Irrevocable joy is what we have in Jesus. I want to illustrate something. Noel and I had a date on Valentine's Day. One of the many dates that I have completely botched in the 20 years of our marriage. And I worked so hard at it because I hate to have her kind of say, well, what do you think we ought to do? Do you want to do something? You know, I want to say, let's do something, right? She would like me to do that every now and then. And here's what we're going to do. So I, I tore the coupon out of the happenings book. And it was a good place to go to. And it looked real nice. It was downtown Minneapolis. And uh, I knew just where I was going to park. you got to plan parking, right, when you go to downtown Minneapolis? I planned it. I planned where to park. And we parked and we walked. It was just closed, tighter than a drum. It was dead and dark, this place that was going to be so wonderful. Well, I didn't have any plan B at all. And it was cold. You remember, remember the 14th? Some of you were out. I'm sure. It was cold. The wind was blowing through those streets. It was dark. I said, where should we go? So we just started walking. We wound up at a fast food place on the second floor of the city center. <laughs> Sitting by 8th Street window, looking out. And, and I looked down, and, and I got a very different impression of Minneapolis than I often do. It was dark down there. And the shops didn't look so nice as they often look. And there was there was trash in the gutter. And there were a few sorts of people just milling around that made me think maybe more uh, drugs were going to be sold that night than, than chow mein that we were eating. It was an eerie experience sitting there looking out on the city and uh, looking at those shops and... And then afterwards, I said, well, my second thing I wanted to do after we ate was go to this new building down there with the, with the lights on top, the Norwest. Magnificent new building. Makes the whole skyline look fairy tale like at night. Lock tighter than a drum. And those lights don't reach the street underneath. Unimpressive. <laughs> and it was cold. So we went home and I pouted the rest of the night like I do. <laughs> And I got this strange feeling about Minneapolis. Like maybe this urban pearl that I like to think of it as, kind of the pride of the upper Midwest, with all of its glitzy hotels and its upscale shops and its really pretty towers might be built on sand. 
It might be just built on sand. I got this sinking feeling in my stomach that with just the slightest turn in public interest, this, the millions and millions of dollars that have been poured into downtown could become a billion-dollar boondoggle. Just like that. Now, I mention this because it illustrates for me how something I like very much and consider pretty solid is very fragile. Very fragile. We plan, we save, we build, we try to look good, we feel successful, and then things start to collapse. Nobody comes to shop. And the hotels have an increasing unoccupied rate. The retail shops start to move out to the dales. You can't rent all that office space up in those towers. The streets start to become emptier and emptier at night and dirtier and dirtier. And another clientele moves in and the drugs and the gangs... The convention center can't draw any conventions. The timber wolves don't stay. And the unthinkable happens. And it's a dead, slummy, ugly, unapproachable downtown. It's happened elsewhere. It could happen here. And it could happen to you and to me. I had a friend used to come and sit in the church periodically. He was a, an executive type. He wore a three-piece suit and he worked in an urban activist association. And uh, we crossed paths periodically and he had kind of an air about him. And then suddenly I heard late one night um, John Piper! Holy man of God! It's about two in the morning. Pastor John Piper! He was drunk as could be outside. I didn't know that was him until about a year later. He rang my front door, stone drunk, in exactly the same voice. Dean and I both, I think, heard that and just clicked. So that's who it was. And he's a goner. Unless God gets a hold of him. How things can change. How fragile this city is. How fragile we all are. Our health is fragile. Our relationships are fragile. Our marriages are fragile. Our business is fragile. Our investments are fragile. We are a fragile people. That's the point of this illustration. Our joy can be so easily taken away from us if it is in these things. And so we need very much to hear Jesus say, your joy will not be taken from you. No one will take your joy from you. If you read on the back of a box in the store, this will bring you pleasure and nobody will take this pleasure from you. You'd say, marketing ballyhoo. And you'd probably be right. Is that what it is with Jesus? It's sort of a marketing hyperbole. Nobody will take your joy from you. Well, I don't think so. 
But we need to get into this text now and find out, first of all, what exactly he means and why he can say this. If you've got your Bibles open, let's go right back up to verse 16 and find out whether this massive promise of irrevocable joy can stand. Verse 16. A little while, he's talking to his disciples now, the night before he was crucified. A little while, and you will see me no more. Again a little while, and you will see me. Now, stop there. His disciples are very confused. They don't know what he's referring to. What's this little while here and this little while there? What's he talking about? And Jesus knows that they're discussing with one another. And so this is what he says in response in verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, and the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Now, what is he referring to? What's going on here? Won't you agree that he's referring to his death, which is going to happen in just a little while, will be very painful, a rending, a separation, and his resurrection, which will turn all that temporary sadness and fear into joy and courage. Verse 21, he, he gives an analogy of childbirth that's supposed to help the disciples get a handle on what they're about to face. And I think it really is a good handle. It's a good help to understand. He says, a, a woman is going along and the baby's at home. It's so comfortable, it's so warm, it's so right, it's so good, it's so enjoyable. A kind of relationship and nurturing uh, union has been established. And suddenly, the contractions start. And this separation that's coming, this breaking free, is going to be painful. In fact, it's going to be bloody and painful. And that's the crucifixion, isn't it? Jesus is going to be torn away. Torn away. Like this baby is going to be torn away, as it were. It's what it feels like you even have to cut something to get this baby away from its mother. He says, that's the way I want you to have in mind when you look at me. It's going to be horrible. You're going to hurt. It's going to be painful to see me hanging there on the cross. But keep in mind, it's like a birth. It's like a birth. It's like a birth. How so? Because very quickly the pain passes. The mother's straining face changes. She sees this little slick baby and... uh, It's alive. It's real. It's a person. It wasn't taken away. After all, it's back. In fact, it's going to get closer to me now than it ever could have been if it had just stayed down here unseen in me. That's the way he wants us to think about the resurrection. I'm back. I'm so close. I'm like a child being enfolded in your arms. So I believe we have in view here the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, so that when we come to verse 22, we know what the situation is. So let's read verse 22 a piece at a time now and get it right. So, he draws, draws out the inference now that they've understood perhaps a little better of what's coming and 
how they ought to feel about it. So, you have sorrow now. In other words, I'm going to be torn away from you. I'm going to be lost to you. It'll look awful. It's appropriate that you cry. It's all right. But, he goes on, I will see you again. That is, I'm going to rise. I'm going to break out. And did you notice that three times in this text, verse 16, 17, and 19, the promise was, you will see me. You will see me. You will see me. And here in verse 22, it switches to, I will see you. I'm going to take some initiative. I want to see you too. Not just you want to see me. I'm not indifferent to this reconciliation or this reunion. I want to be back. I want to be with you. I make promises to you that I'll never be torn away from you again. And then these words. At that, po- at that point, your hearts will rejoice. Now the fulfillment of that comes in chapter 20, verse 20. You want to look at that with me? In chapter 20, verse 20, we have the fulfillment of this promise. Your hearts will rejoice when I see you again. Uh, They're gathered in the upper room there, and uh, the doors are locked because they're scared stiff, and they're probably still crying and fretful. Jesus draws near, and he says... He showed them his hands and his side. And then John says, The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And the word there is the same as back in chapter 16. They rejoiced. They were glad. So there's the fulfillment. That's one of the confirmations for why I'm so persuaded he has the, the death and resurrection in mind in chapter 16, verse 22, because it gets fulfilled so clearly in chapter 20. Verse 20. And then here come the key words that I want to have ringing in our ears this morning when we leave. At the end of verse 22, chapter 16, no one will take away your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. Now, why not? That's the key question. If we've got a proper understanding of what's in view here, how can he say this? How can he make this absolute guarantee that nobody's going to take away our joy from us. And I just want to give you two simple reasons that come right out of this passage of Scripture. Reason number one, no one will take your joy from you because your joy is in Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus means He will never die. He will never be cut off from you again. Let me say it again. No one will take your joy from you because your joy comes from being with Jesus and the resurrection means that He will never die or be cut off from you again. He says, I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice. Rejoice at what? At me. In other words, this text does not offer any promises to people whose joy is not in Jesus. This text offers an invitation to people whose joy is not in Jesus. Do you hear that now? If you come in this morning and you hear me say, your joy will not be taken from you, you must insert 
your joy in Jesus. Because if your joy is not in Jesus, it will be taken from you. This text is an invitation to have your joy in Jesus if it's not in Jesus now. If your joy is not in Jesus, it will be taken away. Notice the sequence of thought. To nail this down in verse 22, it says, I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. Why will they rejoice? Because I will see you again. I'll be there. I'll be near you. Joy comes from having Jesus nearby to forgive and cleanse and help and and give hope and give fellowship. It's the nearness of Jesus that creates the joy he's talking about here. If your joy this morning is in money or sex or prestige or television or hobbies or your work or your family or church instead of Jesus, your joy will be taken from you. It's not going to last. It's going to be cut off from you. I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice forever. Now, why is it forever? Because he has conquered death and will never die again. He will never be cut off from you. It's like the birth and the baby comes back and the baby is never going to grow up and leave. It's going to always be there. No one will take your joy from you. As long as I exist in my resurrection life, we're going to exist in union together. I will never be taken away. No one will take your joy from you. That's the first reason. No one will take your joy from you because your joy is in Jesus and the resurrection means He'll never be taken away. Here's the second reason why this promise stands firm. No one will take your joy from you because... Your joy is in Jesus, and the resurrection means you will never die. This is real simple this morning. You all know this. In order for your joy never to be taken from you, your source source of joy has to be forever, and you have to be forever. If your source of joy is taken, you lose your joy. If you are taken, you lose your joy. The only way that this promise can stand, no one will take your joy from you, is for the source of joy to last forever, that's Jesus, and you to last forever, united to the source of joy. And the resurrection is the guarantee of both. Now to show you that from Jesus' sayings, turn back with me to chapter 14. Chapter 14, verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Now, there it is. Because Jesus lives, you will live. So we've got two guarantees in the resurrection. One, he has conquered death so that he never dies again. And the source of our joy, Jesus, is everlasting. 
and we will never die again because because he died and lives, we will live. There are so many people who say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and that's that. Brothers and sisters, that's not that. What a terrible mistake you would make this morning if you walked out of here saying, oh, that'd be fine if you believed in life after death, but I don't, and so the whole sermon was pointless to me. Because if you make that choice, you make a very irrational choice. Because Jesus Christ has given good evidence that He was raised. And if He was raised never to live again, what an absurd thing it would be if all of those who belonged to Him died and never had any life with Him ever, ever again. There is life after death. It's guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus. You remember what Jesus said to Martha, standing at the tomb of Lazarus? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me will, what? Never die. Never die. Unbroken communion with Jesus Christ. Now someone will say, oh, of course we die. We all die. But listen, there is death and there is death. Yes, I admit, physically, this body will grow uh, corrupt and will decay and will die. But, but there is something stunning coming out of these verses in the absolute statement, no one will take your joy from you. What that means is that because Jesus is everlasting and because you are everlasting and you are united to Him, nothing Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate this union of joy. Not one second break in the communion of joy between Alice this week and heaven. When she died... There was not a millisecond of interruption in the joy that she had in Jesus. And so I want to close by commending Jesus to you this morning. If he is not the joy of your heart this morning, Jesus wants to be the joy of your heart. Listen to these words. John 6.35 I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes on me will, what? Never thirst. Do you hear the word never? It's the same as our text. No one can take your joy from you ever. And therefore, the union that you can have now this morning with Jesus Christ by setting your affections on him will never be broken, ever. And I'm not talking about a constant high of emotion. I know that in my life and in all the lives of the saints, there are emotional ups and downs. 
I'm talking about a firm, rooted, steady commitment in Jesus as our source of joy so that when we do have an emotional downer, we say to ourselves and to God and to Satan, Christ is my portion. God is my hope. To Him I will look. I know in whom I've trusted. I know the only source of true satisfaction. I will set my face steadfastly to Him until He restores the joy of my salvation. 